All right, let's get to the phones. It's uh, in that order. Anne, David, Paul, and Anna. Good morning, Anne. Good morning, Bob. How are you? Uh, it's just a beautiful morning. <laughs> I can't say I wouldn't rather be fishing, but that's not an option this time of year, especially. Oh, if, it, if you were with my dad, it'd be a total option. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> I have a question, obviously. Yeah. Um, I have recently, embarrassingly, discovered a little crowd of out-of-date soft drinks. Okay. And I wondered, before I tossed them, if they might be beneficial somehow in our garden. Sugared? Do they have sugar in them, or are they sugar-free? Some are, and some aren't. Okay. The ones with sugar are especially good because, you know, microbes are just like teenagers. They get a sugar high. That's where they get most of their energy. And you can, by adding those things to your compost pile, just literally anywhere you pour around, uh, you're going to be stimulating especially bacterial activity. And that's a good thing. It'll break down your compost faster. It will speed up the availability of, you know, your fertilizers in your your garden now the things that are you know sweetened with things other than sugar you're not going to hurt anything and maybe the carbonic acid that's in there does a little bit of acidifying which is going to make some things more available to you there's absolutely uh, nothing wrong with it so i would rather see you you know pour it out pour it around the garden but just keep in mind the sugary ones are the ones where you're going to get your most benefit and uh you know, pour them out there and recycle the containers. Um, would they break down enough quickly? Quickly enough, I guess is a better way of putting it. Um, to so that they don't attract the bad guys. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, they're gonna. Yeah, again, what I would probably do if it were me, I would probably pour them around, and then especially the sugared ones, which are you know, going to be attractive, not really to bad guys, but to some things that go after sugar. Uh, I'd probably just dilute it down a little bit further with the hose. Uh, when I got home night before last, I looked at my hummingbird feeder, and there must have been a 100 bees swarming it just everywhere on it. And that's kind of thing that would, you know, happily go looking for a little bit of sugar. But I don't think you're going to find any bad critters are going to be after it. So if in doubt, again, just water it down, just dilute it down a little bit. But uh I'm that's going to be a pretty low priority for me. I've got so many things to do that I'm I'm really not going to worry about it. Okay. Um and then the other with regard to the season is just uh fertilize, compost and all the usuals. All the usuals is time to get it done and uh uh, the nice thing about organic fertilizers, of course, they don't have to be watered in. Compost, if you're putting it over your yard or your garden, I would water that in if you can. It doesn't burn, but there are various things in good compost that will volatilize, will be lost into the atmosphere, whereas if you water them, they'll be carried into the soil where they serve as a good nutrient source. So fertilizer, absolutely no reason to worry about watering it. Uh, compost, if you can water it in, you'll get additional benefits benefit from it but you'll have no negative effects if uh, you don't have time to do that okie dokie thank you so very much always good to hear a bright happy voice to start the show you have a wonderful sunday you too thanks, thanks and goodbye all right david stern good morning david good morning bob morning sir got a question still trying to recover from harvey so um, yes uh, indeed with the medina products yesterday i put down some of their molasses Okay. Now, is that supposed to be watered in after I put it down? 
And are you trying to detoxify the salt and things that came into the soil? Uh, what are you trying to break up that crusty layer? What What are you trying to accomplish with the molasses? Trying to break it up, and uh, then I'm going to hit it with the uh, uh, soil activator. Yeah, and that's that's the one-two punch that uh, uh, Medina has found. And they, boy, they recovered some land down there that people were thinking everything in it would be dead. And the people that did not treat actually lost a lot of plant material. The people that used the soil activator and the molasses together. I uh, had no problems at all. It's not mandatory that you water it, but watering it will carry it down into the soil where it can stimulate the beneficial activity, especially the bacteria. So watering is good if you can, but uh, even just the heavy dew, the moisture in the air is ultimately going to make things available to the things in the soil. So um, kind of like talking about the compost, it's a good thing to water it down, but it's not absolutely mandatory. I usually, you know, dilute my molasses down about two tablespoons per gallon. And uh, after I put it out, I just keep going over it a little bit, which is nothing but water going through the hose in sprayer. And uh, that seems to work real well. So, so, you know, water it afterwards if you can. If you don't get around to it, it's not going to hurt anything. Okay, good enough. We'll let nature take its course. It's supposed to rain down here uh, tonight or tomorrow. We'll see what happens. <laughs> well, it was supposed to rain up here for the past two days, <laughs> and uh, I can't say that I, you know, if we could just arrange it where those rains came from about 8 o'clock at night till about 4 o'clock in the morning, but I think a lot of us sure enjoyed a beautiful day yesterday. So I'll put it this way. I hope you get the rain you need, and I think you're going to see some really, really good results with that uh, soil activator uh, molasses combination. Get back to me, let me know how it does for you. Will do. And I hope it does rain. The oak pollen has torn me up this year. My for the first time, my gosh, like I, you know, I've been sick for three days straight. I, one of our managers, uh, was was bad off enough that she went to the doctor, and she never goes to the doctor. I mean, when Wendy says she's going to the doctor, she's feeling like you know Porter Loring's the next stop if she doesn't get some help. But uh, you and a lot of other people. If we just get a little rain to wash that pollen out of the air, it'll knock it down. But I hate to tell you, it'd be a real good time to go to the mountains for two weeks or something like that, or Arizona or somewhere. So just just tough it out, and uh, this too will pass. Okay, Bob. Thank you again. Appreciate it, David. Thank you, sir. Uh Bye. Okay, Paul's turn. Good morning, Paul. Hey, good morning. Morning. Um, I have uh, some uh, oleanders I tried planting uh, to screen my uh, rainwater tank a couple okay. of years ago, and every time it's gotten down uh, in the, say, mid to low 20s, it uh, pretty much wipes out whatever growth was on those things. Mm-hmm. Same thing happened a couple of weeks ago. They just completely froze, you know, turned brown. And so I'm kind of thinking about giving up on those, and I was wondering if you could suggest something different that would give me an evergreen uh, shrub the you know screen that might grow to maybe six seven feet tall um, and, um how far north are you on. where whereabouts are you paul i'm up in uh blanco county about oh okay five miles north of blanco okay i can see the first few numbers your phone number and i saw that 214 and thought you might be in dallas if you will you go there? yeah <laughs> there's uh there is a variety of oleander called hardy red 
And uh, I used to grow these things in Dallas. They are cold hardy down into the single digits. And if you really like oleanders, that one should do. I'm afraid you just got some of the more tropical varieties that are indeed very susceptible to freeze damage. So you could certainly go with a hardy red oleander. Um, are deer an issue trying to find things that are deer proof? Uh, no, this is in a, an area that's okay. fenced off. So okay. They can't get to it. Other possibilities to grow up to that size, um, Yopon Holly is another one. The standard Yopon, I like a variety called Pride of Houston. Uh, dense evergreen foliage, pretty red berries uh, through most of the late winter and spring months. Not super fast growing, but extremely long-lived. Uh, unpruned, it'll grow 10, 12 feet, or you can keep it down as low as 6 feet if you like. Uh, another possibility, if you can water it, uh, the one of the fastest growing things you could put out there would be loquat. Uh, loquat or Japanese plum, as they're called, they do take some supplemental watering uh, where you are, but they're going to be 8, 10 feet tall in about two or three years, even if you start with a five-gallon size container. Uh, so those, I think, would also be a good option. Uh, long-term option, but slower growing Texas Mount Laurel. Uh, they don't come much hardier than that and they will easily grow six to eight feet. And with good care, you can get 18 inches to two feet of growth out of them. They're not super slow growing if you're watering and feeding. So, uh, that's another good native option you could put there. The other thing that you could do if you wanted would be to put up some sort of uh, physical structure, fence, uh, or latticework, something like that, and you could grow a vine up at like Tangerine Beauty Cross Vine. It would be a good evergreen vine that's going to give you a lot of flowers in the spring. Hummingbirds are very fond of it, and it wouldn't take up as much room as the different shrubs would take. I don't know whether you're concerned with uh, limiting the size that they grow to, but uh, it, the fastest way you could get a screen would uh, would be to put some sort of structure things could grow on. And that could be, like I said, that could be anything from cattle panels to uh, like a trellis or simply putting in some stakes. So, you know, you can get the, uh, uh, the T-posts that they make for game fencing that I think are about eight feet tall, string a couple of almost invisible wires through it or, you know, get some 90-pound test uh, monofilament fishing line and just string across there so it doesn't show and something like Tangerine Crossvine, Tangerine Beauty Crossvine will be, you know, eight feet tall about three months after you put it in the ground. So that's sort of an instant screen if that appeals to you. Wow, yeah, that's an option. Okay. And the other thing you All can right. do if you wanna if you wanna give it a little bit more structure, use your eight foot T post and that's assuming you can drive them into the ground in Blanco County and yeah. lots of areas yeah, you're like me. It, yeah, it, yeah. But uh you could actually then take if uh and you can go to a cedar yard or maybe cut your own, uh, cut some like eight foot uh, lengths of uh, cedar poles that are inch and a half, two inches in diameter, and then just wire those up to the T-post. You'd have a much more rustic look and then grow your vine up over that. Could be a, could be a fairly attractive structure, and that way you wouldn't have to be digging post holes and you know putting in eight foot cedar posts because a lot easier right. to drive a T-post in than it is to dig a hole in the ground sometimes. Yeah. Um, one other question I had was uh, one of these I might plant in a, a raised bed. Uh -huh. what, what would you uh, prepare the raised bed from? What would you mix to, to, to uh, fill up the, the structure? Uh, if you've got anywhere, you can just dig up some of your, you know, alluvial soil. If you've got a creek bed or anything like that, if you're 
going to uh, go out and buy something. Um, I should probably go somewhere like Stone and Soil Depot has location almost to 46 out there on Highway 281. And um, I just I I would put a good garden soil in there. If uh, cost is an option, you can even go with a very low-grade soil and then just add a little manure or good compost to it, and uh, you can certainly make it uh, good enough quality soil. But I, what, what are you going to build a bed out of? Well, I don't even know. I mean, just originally thought I would just use some uh, some lumber, some two bys of some you know height, two by eights, two by tens, or something, and maybe get some stones and stack them. Stone is going to be long lasting. The even the treated lumber you get these days does not last. I you know I'm replacing six by six post uh, treated you know womanized whatever you want to call it treated posts that I put in five years ago and they're already rotting at ground level. So um, I would encourage you to do something a little more permanent. Stone is, in my opinion, the most attractive. But if you want to uh, do something that looks like lumber, think about using Trex, uh, the synthetic wood that's actually a plastic with wood fibers. I've got some of those boards that I must have bought 15 years ago when I needed them for a waterproof section in a greenhouse we had at that time. And uh, those things are as good as the day I bought them. And it's um, it's not real wood, but it looks like wood, and it's just kind of lifetime quality. And that would be an excellent material if you want to use a wood-type product. That would be a real mm-hmm. good material that you could use. I mean, it cuts easily. You can nail it. You can screw it. Um, you treat it just like you do lumber, but it just uh, doesn't rot. It's just uh, much more right. permanent. And it's uh, maybe a little more expensive uh, than the treated wood, but boy, the quality and the lasting uh, just really superior. Okay, very good. All right, well, uh, that's all I needed. Thank you very uh, much. It's a pleasure. Thanks for calling this morning. All right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines. Um, I'll mention yesterday, uh, gosh, thanks for everybody that came out to see Donna's seminar on creating beautiful combination pots and baskets. It was full house, and, man, everybody that left was just going on and on about what a wonderful teacher she is. I'm going to do a seminar, one I haven't done before, uh, working on it, uh, uh, I think it's going to be real interesting, on building soil. So much of us have... uh, and eh, not the best quality soil, and so many people for so many years depleted that soil by putting the wrong kind of fertilizers and other products on it. And anyway, that's a free seminar next Saturday morning. It's going to be all about building soils. And if you want to come over, absolutely free, 945, no sign up, and, you know, just just come on over and enjoy. Uh, let's get back to these phone lines. It's going to be Anna and Peter and Carol. I have one line open if you want to grab it. Uh, good morning, Anna. Good morning. Good morning. It's a beautiful morning. It certainly is a nice morning uh, to be out there. I have some questions, and I'm going to put make, give you a list, and then you answer them accordingly. Well, I, yeah, I might have a question to follow up, so let's get started. Okay, mulch. Uh, does mulch, if I put mulch uh, on my garden, does it uh, keep the weeds out? It helps. Uh, the next one is persimmon. Okay. You know, I have a big pers- oriental persimmon tree that used to be full of flowers and so forth. And when the winds would blow, it would blow all kinds of flowers and little uh, uh, persimmons all over the ground. This year, I didn't get any any flowers, any little persimmons or anything. The tree is coming out beautifully, but I don't see any any persimmons. Am I wrong in the timing? Uh, the other one is... Uh, Horse uh, cow manure, uh-huh. or I think it's 
uh, horse, uh, then I was given several bags of it. Can I put it? It's dry, and can I put it in my yard? The next one is grass. What kind of grass do I need to throw out there, and when, and molasses? Okay, well, let's start at the top, and uh, that is on your mulch. Mulch suppresses weeds. It does not eliminate weeds, but you will have fewer weeds if you put out mulch. Plus, your mulch will help keep moisture in the soil. It will help keep the soil cooler. Mulches are a very good thing to do, but uh, they reduce weeds. They don't eliminate them completely. Uh, With your persimmon tree, you remember that freeze we had really early in the fall last year? Yes. That froze the buds on your persimmon before they had a chance to develop. While there were still little bud primordia, uh, mm-hmm. before you can even see them, they apparently got frozen, and that's why you had no flowers. If you had had flowers and then no fruit, would have to be thinking other things. But uh, um, as long as that tree's out in good sun, the good news is you'll probably have twice as many flowers and fruit next year. Uh, but it was that that you know kind of unexpected too early freeze before things really had a chance to harden off uh, i normally that, get about two or two three bushels oh yeah and they are wonderful you'll probably get six bushels next year but i'm afraid you're gonna have to wait a year on that one okay okay on your horse manure um did you get this from a friend from the stables where did this manure come from uh from a stable uh, from a friend Okay, the problem with manures is that if the friend had, was feeding the horses with hay that had been sprayed with this weed killer called Picloram, Picloram goes right through the horse, goes right through the cow, goes right through whatever eats the hay, comes out in the manure, and the manure is highly toxic. It will kill everything except grass. So you might begin by asking the friend where they got the hay and if they know if it was sprayed with weed killer or not. If you're not able to find out, what you need to do is to do a little test. Uh, Take a five-gallon bucket, fill it two-thirds full with that dry manure, then fill it with water and let it stand for about 24 hours. Take that water and go pour it over a dandelion, pour it over a henbit, any kind of broadleaf weed. Uh, Not grass, but any kind of uh, broadleaf weed. Watch it for about 48 hours. If that weed starts to shrivel and die, then that manure is full of herbicide and you need to dispose of the manure. If the weed continues to grow, then your manure is probably herbicide-free, and you can use that in your garden, in your flower beds, use it on your lawn, anywhere you want to use it. And finally, with grass, the only kind of grass we can plant from seed during the warm weather is Bermuda grass, which is a good grass for sunny areas, but is way too early to put it out. Bermuda seed has to have it really hot. I mean, it has to be, you know, 80 to 90 degrees before that seed germinates, so it's way too early for Bermuda grass. But as we get consistently warmer, as our night temperatures go up, when it starts getting uncomfortable for us to be outside, that's the time you can plant your Bermuda seed. Okay. And the molasses, would that I my backyard was totally uh, neglected. And as a matter of fact, there's some cracks in the dirt out there, and it's full of weeds. So. <laughs> Just like mine. <laughs> okay. Yeah, molasses is going to help anything. Molasses stimulates microbial life in the soil, and it doesn't matter whether it's liquid molasses or what they call the dry molasses. You can use that on your flower garden, your vegetables, your grass. It will benefit everything you put it on. 
okay, I, I just want to feed the backyard so that maybe I can have a yard I can use. Well, now, it doesn't take the place of fertilizer. You need to get a good organic fertilizer, Nature's Creation, Medina, Maestro Grow, Espoma, lots of good organic fertilizers out there. The molasses is kind of uh, is kind of the icing on the cake. It does really good things, but you need the cake itself, and that's what your fertilizer is going to be. You can put the molasses out either before or after you put out your good organic fertilizer. I see. Okay, I think you've answered all my questions. And good questions they were, Anna. Thank you for calling this morning. And uh, I'll get Peter. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, Bob. How are you? I'm good. How about yourself? I'm great. Thank you, sir. (laughs) I have a quick question on the Mexican buckeye. Yes, sir. Um, Got a lot of them on the property, and um, they're about uh, 8 to 10 feet tall, Mm -hmm. you know, all bare. And should, should they be cut back? And if so, how much? You know, that's strictly up to you. Um, I I wouldn't cut them back at this time of year. Uh, Mine are starting to come into bloom. I've seen some in San Antonio, just a solid mass of those pink flowers. If you prune them this time of year, you lose all those flowers. And minor well where they grow around my ranch they're more of an understory tree they're more in shady areas so you're not really going to thicken them up by pruning them back they just don't have enough light to really become real full bushy plants if you need to reduce the size you can certainly cut them back um you know as soon as uh, as soon as the flowering is finished but it's strictly up to you they do not need to be cut back they do not benefit from being cut back it's just uh you can make a smaller plant out of them but that's all in the world you gain by cutting them back all right back to gardening it's gonna be carol and ray and kyle and kenny and carol is up first good morning carol good morning bob good morning I have a question about these little red and black bugs that we found on our mountain laurel yesterday. Mm-hmm. How can we take care of them? The, the <laughs> leaves, take- and I guess, are attacking the leaves and the the seed pods now. The new seed pods. Yeah, they are not super damaging. I would get rid of them. If it's convenient, the material that I would use is some form of spinosad. My spinosad is a natural insecticide. It's harmless to people and pets. In fact, we give it to puppy dogs in an oral form for flea control. And uh, my favorite form of it is something came out about two years ago called spinosad soap. Uh, It's a mixture of insecticidal soap and spinosad, and it has been the most effective thing I have found at getting rid of those troublesome little creatures and a whole lot others of others. Mm-hmm. The the really good news is for the first couple of years we could only buy it in a ready to use hand sprayer. And I I go through a lot of things like that in my garden. Nowadays, if you have a lot to do, you can uh, buy it as a concentrate, dilute it yourself. But uh, usually one spraying will totally take care of it. Now, these things will be a little disfiguring to uh, uh, some of the leaves on your mountain laurel, but they're they're not a deadly threat to it. Uh, They're not... Not something that's going to be a real serious issue. I have to tell you, I usually see those just like the little caterpillars on Mount Laurels. They're a little stressed. Uh, so be sure that your Mount Laurels not getting too much water. That's what the biggest problem we see with them and also being buried too deeply. But if you want to make those little bugs go away, if you want to get rid of them, I should say, uh, look for some spinosad soap. It's, you'll find it just about any good nursery, and it's not expensive at all. Okay. Well, this is the first year i've ever seen them well this has been a 
winter spring like none other that i've ever seen and i've seen a lot of winters and springs so uh, again they're a nuisance they're going to go away on their own but the spinosad soap keeps it's not like neem or something that breaks down in a few months time and uh, i just try to always have a a little sprayer of it because it's the only thing i've ever found that kills those leaf-footed bugs on tomatoes and stink bugs and a number of other problem creatures but that's that's what i'd be using to control them great Thank you so much. Anything else I can do for you today? Well, I could ask you a little problem area we have is a very small um, uh, area between our gar- our driveway mm-hmm. and sidewalk. is is no more is no bigger than two by three. Okay, probably, or maybe three by three. Okay, we're looking and it's. It gets full sun in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. In the morning, it's shaded Okay. by the house. But by noon, from noon on, it's full sun? Pretty much, yes. Okay. You're looking for flowers? You're looking for evergreen? You're looking for evergreen flowers, uh, annuals? What, what would you like to see in this small area? I, we know we'd like an evergreen. Okay. And I'd like it to have flowers. Look at Salvia Greggii. Salvia. Um, salvia G-R-E-G-G-I-I, uh, also known as cherry sage. Actually comes in several colors, but I like the hot pink color. If it were mine, I would consider putting um, probably, depending on how densely you want to plant it, put either two or three of those in toward the center of that area. And then on the outside edge, uh, there is a low-growing evergreen perennial called Skullcap, pink Skullcap. I think the combination of colors is beautiful. The, the Skullcap is going to grow maybe 6 inches tall. The Salvia Gregia is going to grow maybe 18 inches tall. Both of them are going to bloom for 8 or 9 months out of the year. The hummingbirds love them. can't say I've ever seen an insect problem on them. Uh, maintenance consists of watering and fertilizing occasionally, and about every two or three years, you'll need to cut the Gregii back a little bit just to keep it full and thick. But uh, check out those two plants. I think they're about as trouble-free as they could be. Uh, they'll be evergreen. They will bloom for you and uh, should be virtually maintenance-free. Sounds good. Let me ask, how wide do they get? Um, the Gregii is going to, the overall plant might get a foot wide, although I doubt it's going to get quite that wide. Uh, the skullcap is sort of a mounding plant. If it gets too big, you simply whack it back. It would like to be maybe a foot wide where I have some in my landscape. It kind of, uh, it doesn't really cascade, but it makes a, a full plant that, hang slightly over the edge of a limestone uh, retaining wall, but it's not anything that's going to get out of hand, believe me. Okay. We've had red skullcap before. Uh-huh. And does it grow like the red skullcap? Uh, it stays much more compact. Oh, okay. And it's happier in the full sun. Okay. Um, good thing to know. All right. Thank you so much. We'll try that. Uh, you take a look at it and see how you like it, Carol. Appreciate the call. Let me get Ray in here. Good morning, Ray. Ray, you with us? Okay. I punched the right button on my end. Uh, Ray, are you there? All right. Going to put Ray back on hold. Let me bring it up one more time. Ray, are you there? 
Okay, Ray's back on hold. We'll try to come back him and hand him a couple of minutes. Kyle's probably there. Good morning, Kyle. Good morning. Morning, sir. Uh, I'm in Corpus Christi, Texas. I have a question about nut sedge. Okay. I have it in my uh, vegetable garden, mm-hmm. and pulling it is cumbersome. And, <laughs> and you don't want to walk barefoot local, on it. <laughs> my local nursery, they they said to use something called sedge hammer. Yeah, it's... And that, you know, don't grow anything for six months, so I didn't plant a winter garden. I sprayed it, and, you know, it, it really knocked down. But it's back. But we're spring, and it's back. Yeah. How... What what is a way to get rid of this? Well, two things about nutsedge. Number one, we've been taught that it's a weed and that we shouldn't tolerate it, but it doesn't harm your garden in any way. Granted, it's it's not as attractive, but Malcolm Beck once told me the healthiest field of corn he'd ever seen was growing in a sea of nutsedge. So it's not hindering the growth of your vegetables if you want to get rid of it during a dry period and corpus has had you know lots of moisture uh more so than we have in this area but it can't stand a lot of microbial activity so we make a concentrated molasses solution we'll put like oh you know half a cup of molasses to a gallon of water pour that over it enough to saturate it, repeat it in about two weeks. It doesn't just turn brown and die, but over a period of time, you'll notice that it just kind of yellows and rots away. Just all of a sudden, it's not there anymore. And that, of course, uh, if you don't go stronger than a you know half cup of molasses per gallon of water, you're not going to hurt your vegetables or anything else you happen to be growing in the garden and you're not going to be using a very toxic chemical like your image and manage, and that's probably the active ingredients that are in your sedge hammer. But uh, um, the molasses will be at least as effective as that and totally harmless to the garden. But but don't feel like you just have to get rid of the nut sedge. Now, if I were planning to let my garden lie fallow for a while, I would solarize it. You can kill it by solarizing. We have to do that in the middle of the summer. We moisten the soil thoroughly, and then we cover it with plastic for oh somewhere between six and eight weeks, and it just literally parboils everything that's underneath it. But, you know, sedge is just not that big a deal. It's kind of like the dandelions and things you see in the yard right now. Just mow them off. They're going to die out when it gets hot. Your sedge is not going to impede the quality, uh, not going to harm the quality of the stuff you're growing in your vegetable garden. So all you're doing is making it look prettier trying to totally eliminate it. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. You're sure welcome. Appreciate the call. Out of the phone lines, Kenny, Andy, Robin, and Bobby in that order. And uh, we start with Kenny. Good morning, Kenny. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. How are you doing today? Uh, just another beautiful day out there. Yeah, a little misty. And, uh, well, the sun will be out. There you go. The ground will warm up a little bit, so everything will start coming up in my garden. It's a little, a little cold. <laughs> including the weeds and everything else but that's all part that's of the game true. that's what i say the grass isn't growing the Ramuna grass isn't growing yet yeah but, uh, it won't be long yes sir but how about asparagus will, will asparagus grow here in south texas oh asparagus is a wonderful crop here um it uh you know it's one of those things that you get planted the first year you basically just let it grow the portion that we eat is the same portion that makes the foliage which of course rebuilds and keeps the roots healthy and helps the plants to grow 
you're you can plant it anytime but it gets harder to find as we get later into the spring most nurseries gosh i don't know how many thousand plants we sold back in january and february but most of our suppliers are out of it now if you can find someone that potted up uh, some of their asparagus you can probably still find plants to plant or you can probably go online and buy you know asparagus crowns uh, don't follow any planting advice they give you because up north you plant it in a trench and plant it six inches deep and all that we plant it uh, just as the individual crowns put them up a foot to 18 inches apart about an inch of soil over the top of them and uh, as long as you water it and take care of it an asparagus patch just gets better and better year after year and you can harvest for a longer period of time so yes asparagus does well if you really like asparagus you're going to have to have a pretty good patch of it because you 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 don't get but one or two spears at a time off of an individual plant so i consider a minimum of 18 to 24 plants and 50 would be better but uh you can grow it and grow it quite well you get to see a lot of varieties out there i still grow the old mary washington which has probably been around for 50 years or longer and uh, i've tried the jersey giant and all the new ones that come out but i just keep going back to mary washington it's the one that produces best for me every year right should i bake it in a raised bed or just plant it on the ground you plant it wherever you've got room to plant it the nice thing about raised beds you don't have to bend over as far to pick but as far as the growing it'll be fine either place because that way I can till around it and, and pull weeds as they grow in the bed. You can, but remember that asparagus is going to spread its roots out over a relatively wide area, and you sure don't want to be messing up the, the root system of your plants. You want them That's to grow as... Yeah. To put it in, in a raised bed. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, and then, but but I wouldn't till. I'd be pulling the weeds around it, but I I sure wouldn't be getting in there even with the little mantis tiller. I think you're you're still going to mess up your plants too much. But it it certainly does make it easier to uh, to pull the weeds. Right. Well, that's why I, said I wanted to put it in a raised bed. That way, I wouldn't disturb whenever I till around them. Sure. Sure. And uh, you can always use a little push-pull hoe or something like that. That's what I use in my bed that I can get pretty close to the plants. I can take the tops off of. Just about every weed other than Bermuda grass. And, uh, yeah, it's it's not a big maintenance issue. I would encourage you, if you like asparagus and... Uh, I love it. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> you better plant a pretty big bed of it, Kenny, because uh, you're going to love it. My, my employees think that I must be a lousy asparagus grower because I share very little of it. The truth <laughs> is, I can walk through the garden and I just reach down, snap it off, and munch on it. It's, it's that good. And uh, until you've actually, you know, just been picking and eating as you go you don't know how good asparagus can be right now how, how about well the past two years my squash it's coming out beautiful right now mm-hmm. but it starts getting white around the edges and then it just like completely just like it yeah the the white is powdery mildew um you make a mixture of uh, what they call corn water tea I uh, just soak some whole ground cornmeal in water overnight and spray that or pour that over the leaves. Um, that's probably the best thing to do with squash. Uh, liquid garlic 
will help prevent mildew, but it also tends to repel the bees that you need in there to pollinate the flowers. So I'm just going to be mixing some corn water tea and uh, a spray. It's, we've had the perfect weather for mildew, unfortunately, with lots of clouds and lots of moisture in the air, even though it hadn't rained much. So uh, you probably have to spray them every 10 days to two weeks to stay ahead of the mildew until we get into really bright, sunny weather. But that should totally control that problem for you. But, it, well, something kills it in the summertime whenever it's hot. Yeah. That is usually, that's usually something called a squash vine borer. There is a moth. If you get a copy of the Texas Bug Book, there's actually a picture of this guy on the on the binding and also on the cover. It uh, looks more like a wasp, but it's a moth that flies in, lies in, lays an egg. The larvae literally hollows out the stem, and they are the... There's probably the biggest problem we face in growing squash in this area. You either grow a variety with a much thinner stem, such as uh, tatume, or some people, including me, actually inject BT into the stems of the squash. And uh, a lot of people are experimenting with doing things. Uh, there are some pheromone traps that are, seem to be producing better and better results all the time. I think they're improving the pheromones. But uh, get a book, go online, look at what this little moth looks like, kill any of them that you see. And uh, that's what generally is a life-limiting factor on squash in the summer months here. Right. That spinach fat won't work on that? No, sir. Unfortunately, it doesn't. haven't really found any kind of spray that does. And we've tried it all. <laughs> okay. Thanks, but Brian. but like I say, the little tatumi, calabacitas, technically it's a pumpkin, but it looks like a squash, tastes like a squash. So I eat it like a squash, and it's so thin that the, uh, the vine borers can't get into it. So that's a good way around it. I'm going to let you go because i got to have to go to news. Uh, Andy, Robin, and Bobby, my next three callers here on KTSA Radio, San Antonio, Texas. From ABC News. I'm Michelle Franzen. President Trump is at his Florida estate this weekend. His attorneys also with him as Attorney General William Barr back in Washington pours over the special counsel's Russia report. Barr will decide what details will be made public. ABC's Jonathan Carl has more on what we know so far. There is a clear sense of relief that there are no more indictments for all of the speculation. After 22 months of investigation, not a single member of the Trump family was charged with everything. But while there is that sense of relief. It is a cautious sense of relief. The president's legal team is keenly aware that there still may be damaging information in the Mueller report, uh, damaging information particularly on the question of obstruction of justice. A cruise ship off the rugged coast of Norway, once again moving on its own power after severe storms and winds knocked out three of the Viking Sky's engines. It's now headed inland after rescue crews attempted to airlift passengers to safety. That ship listing in the violent waves, passengers tossed around around the deck, furniture crashing, rescuers hoisting people off the boat into helicopters one by one. ABC's Ariel Reshef reporting the company says 20 passengers received treatment for injuries at local hospitals. In Texas, just outside Houston, a massive cleanup still underway. That's where a chemical plant has been burning for days. Authorities say they were caught off guard Friday by a third flare-up and when a containment wall breach 
caused several chemicals to leak and burst into flames. ABC's Marcus Moore is there. As heightened levels of benzene have been found in some waterways here, there is no indication that that toxic chemical has made its way into the drinking water. And as we move forward through the rest of the, uh, through the, rest of the week, you know, classes were canceled at several school districts on Friday because of all of this, but it's unclear what the plan is for Monday. In Thailand, voting underway in the first election since a military coup there in 2014. You're listening to ABC News. So are there any more reasons you need to switch to rainwater catchment <laughs> with uh, even in the Houston area? Gosh, just uh, interesting things these chemical problems can cause.